I'm Cassie Gillespie, and you're listening to Welcome to the Field, a podcast produced by the University of Vermont's Child Welfare Training Partnership and the State of Vermont. Welcome to the Field is designed for child welfare workers, caregivers, and community partners. However, this season, we will be talking all about uncomfortable conversations, and each episode will touch on a different type of uncomfortable conversation. So even if you're not working or caregiving in the child welfare field, this season might be for you. Today, we have a very special guest for you, Dr. Nikki Weld from the University of Auckland, all the way from New Zealand. Join Vermont CWTP host Kate Cunningham as she talks with Nikki about her doctoral research on the concept of courage and its importance in child welfare systems. Here we go. Thanks, Cassie. So this is Kate Cunningham, and I am sitting here with Nikki. Um, Well, we're not actually sitting together. We are on separate sides of the planet, I think, right now. Um, I'm sitting here. It's 4 p.m. on Thursday afternoon, and... Nikki, what time is it over in New Zealand? Uh, We are now 11 minutes past eight on Friday morning, so we're in the future. Yeah, Nikki is a little bit ahead of us, and she is bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and (laughs) we're so thankful that she actually got up and is participating in this podcast. One of the things I just want to share, because my introduction to Nikki was back in 2013, Uh, Family Services had Nikki come over to do training on transformational supervision in human services. And in her presentation and discussion, she had one slide on professional dangerousness and kind of ran through it and said, well, you all know what this is. And everybody in the audience, all managers and supervisors was like, no, we don't know what it is. Um, Please tell us more. And so Nikki started a whole journey with us for quite a few more years. We would would bring Nikki back over on her trips to the U.S. We'd have her come and, and do trainings on professional dangerousness and dangerous dynamics. And um, I know we've used her. She's the book, Transformational um, Supervision and Human Services. Um, we've used that. And more recently, I, in stalking Nikki, started reading through her her dissertation on courage and how it shows up. And so in thinking about uncomfortable conversations, courage is certainly a ne- necessary part of of the conversations that child welfare workers have, supervisors have with workers, workers have with caregivers, caregivers have with the youth that are with them and the children. And so courage just kind of shows up, feels like all over, Nikki. Mm. I'd love to hear kind of your, your journey to get to this kind of discovery of courage and research on it. Oh, thanks, Kate. And thank you to the University of Vermont for this opportunity. And um, yeah, and, and warm greetings from Aotearoa, New Zealand. So yeah, the journey to exploring courage actually began in New York. So this is a really mm. lovely kind of connection between our two countries. And I was really fortunate in 2011 to be part of a, a health leadership, health social work leadership program that was based at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York. And And this happened to coincide with the 10-year anniversary of the World Trade Center bombings. So that was really, you know, that was really present for people and and particularly for me and um, being a visitor to to New York. And and I went to the the New York police and um, fire museums and they both had very powerful exhibits around the World Trade Center bombings and how that impacted their personnel and and um, I was really struck by 
the enormity really but also the stories and I was left really thinking how what does it take to walk into a building that is essentially on fire and you know and the the shockingness of that and that um, these first responders did that so that was that was kind of the beginning really of thinking about courage and, and what is that and I was also doing a, um, a research um, kind of course with um, Professor Erwin Epstein at, at Mount Sinai as part of this program and and he was very encouraging about you should do research you should do research and I thought oh well, yeah maybe maybe I could and and we'd also um, back in New Zealand we had tragically had the Canterbury earthquakes which um, unfortunately we had a loss of life of 185 people and that Christchurch is where I, I was born and where I grew up and and again I was really struck by how people responded to those events and more so how people remained in a region that was impacted by thousands upon thousands of aftershocks and so this yeah this kind of those two events actually led me into thinking what is courage and and when I started exploring that, I discovered there wasn't a universal definition, which was kind of surprising. And, and it's sort of this word that we all use, but perhaps we hadn't really said, what is it? And so that led me into my doctoral study. And I undertook that study with older adults in the Canterbury region. Um, and I chose that demographic actually because they are very under-researched. Mm. Um, and the stories of our older people are often missed. Yes. And they often, in disasters, are kind of seen more in a, a victim light and that we we need to rush in and look after them. But in my research, I discovered that these people had profound wisdom and, um, and in fact, are just so underutilised. And, and I'm really struck by we should spend more time mm. <laughs> with our older people who have been on these journeys. So that, that led to the, the, uh, the, the doctoral study into courage and... And I am one of those um, um, study nerds or research nerds who basically loved their doctoral study. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I wasn't, I just loved it. It, it, it. it was something I just became really passionate about. And, yeah, and so then weaving that thinking into kind of the child welfare and the child family space. And and that's, that's that. That's how we got to there. That is lovely. And I, I agree, I think. Even when I think about, you know, we do this this podcast, and I know a lot of child welfare workers and people in the workforce listen to it, as do caregivers. And just even bringing it to that, I think that there is so much wisdom in in when we look at grandparents, and um, we have kin caregivers and grandparents very often, and just appreciating that they do come with a lot of knowledge and wisdom and and their own sense of of courage. Mm, very much. Yeah, and. I'm going to read you one line from your dissertation, if you don't mind. I'm not going to get more into it. There are others that I was kind of like, oh, this is great. But it's a super simple line. It just says, ultimately, understanding courage provides insight into an appreciation of human experience. And when I think of, of, you know, the child welfare, the whole system, the workforce, the caregivers, um, we are all about you know, child safety, child well-being, permanency, and, and law abidance here in Vermont. And it's all about the human experience. Yeah, I agree. I think working in that space is a, a space of profound learning. I've always said in, in that area, we are exposed to the very best and the very worst sometimes of, of human behavior. And, 
and how we understand that and how we respond mm. to that is just so critical. But I think I really want to acknowledge that in that space, it does take a lot of courage. I, it's if we think about courage being a response to an adverse situation, if we think about adversity is generally characterized by an actual or perceived threat to our physical or psychological safety. And, um, and I think some of the situations that workers are heading into and some of the conversations that have to be had around child safety and the care of children that they can feel quite scary and you know and we need courage for these situations where we have this sense of fear or vulnerability or doubt and uncertainty and and I know when I started in my career you know being faced with situations where I literally had no idea what I was going to do mm-hmm. and so that sense of vulnerability and doubt and uncertainty and fear all kind of rushed in together and and yet I still had to go and do the work and for me that that is you know we often talk about kind of think about courage as kind of this something reserved for heroic acts on the battlefield that's been where there's been a lot of literature but in my research we talked about everyday courage and quiet mm-hmm. courage and I think walking into these situations often on a on the on a daily level where we do have those strong feelings, then we do require courage. And that's what enables us to face into those experiences. So it really is something that we, sh- we should embrace and, and really talk about and, and claim in these spaces. Absolutely. And I appreciate that you said that. It is, we kind of look at it when, when you were talking about the burning building and, and an earthquake. And yet, I do think of, of both child welfare workers and caregivers who who oftentimes deal with adverse situations almost daily, right? Whether that's having to face a conversation with a parent to for a removal of a child or, you know, just meeting them for the first time and explaining why we're there. And or we have youth who, you know, who may get dysregulated. You know, we have for the caregiver's home sometimes we get calls about, you know, the house is being destroyed, the child's out of control, they're afraid, as well as, you know, even just very specifically in our workforce, you know, we know in 2015, we had one of our colleagues, uh, Lara Sobel, was was murdered by a parent here um, outside of her office. And people still show up. They showed up after and they still show up every day, even though faced with, with situations that are scary, where there is fear and vulnerability and, and doubt, like you'd said. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a hugely tragic event to have for your workforce and to have experienced there. It's really sad. Yeah, and and again, yep, yeah, people people show up for work every day, even with with that fear. So it's yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and I and I think that probably really surfaces almost the kind of the process of courage. I think one of the key aspects of that is that. We, in order to face into and walk into adversity, we often connect to very core motivational sources within ourselves, and and I think it is those things that help people walk through the through the door each day. Mm-hmm. That um, and the more that we articulate why I'm here, what drives me, what's important to me, those sources of motivation, they really are the the anchoring in the the platform 
for which we can then take the action that we need to take. And courage is all about facing into and taking action, whatever that might be. So I really want to acknowledge and help people say, well, what is it that carries me through the door each day? Because that is the anchoring place often in this work. Yeah. It even brings me to the kind of that understanding from both the workforce and I guess caregivers as well, that there is also that understanding that the courage that it takes a parent to walk through the door of um, an office into a meeting. So it kind of really hits on all areas of the work from all perspectives, that it really takes that need to kind of harness that courage to kind of to push through. And I like that idea of that the motivation, right? And it's typically like an internal motivation, I'm guessing, is what you found. Yeah, very much. It is very personal. And it's, I mean, courage is quite subjective in that what I might need courage for may not be what you need courage for. Okay, so what could be adverse for me may not be for another person Mm. and vice versa. And so it is kind of quite subjective and we should never assume around that. We should never assume perhaps it's a supervisor that, oh, well, that looks pretty straightforward and the worker will have, you know, we'll just be able to go do that. Um, We need to be asking the question about how are you feeling about that and is that generating any of those feelings of vulnerability and fear and doubt and uncertainty and and how can we how can we sit together and work through that and you know perhaps rehearse or practice you know what needs to be said or how this will go and so we should never assume that it is very particular to individuals and and I guess this brings me to a wonderful um, message that was shared by Joan Halifax, who's a Buddhist teacher and who work around palliative care. And it's a quote that she shares from Buddhist Thinking that I keep on coming back to and back to and back to, which is about having a strong back and a soft front. Mm. And I, for me, this starts to bring in the notion of compassion as well, which we need in this work. And I really love that image because she, you know, she talks about the notion of the spine and the back and that is both strong but it's also flexible. Mm. And then the the soft front is the kind of the open heart. It's about having something that people can connect to about us. And I like the fact that we've got the strength behind us that's keeping us firm and anchored and steady to hold us in these situations and in these really difficult or challenging conversations. Um, but we we must, in order to do that, we must bring this, this soft front, the relational component of ourselves into this space. And yeah, and so that for me has really links back to um, Professor Eileen Munro's commentary around that the most effective workers in this space are workers who are compassionate and authoritative. And I was really struck by that. I mean, she was saying this back in sort of the early 2000s and, and then again in the, the review of the UK child protection system. And and I so I've been really inviting people to think, what does that look like? You know, how do we see that combination of authoritative and compassionate? And for me, authoritative is often as calling on courage. So mm-hmm. courage is kind of sitting behind authoritative, if that makes sense. So those kind of two concepts, you know, the strong back, the soft front, the the authoritative and the compassionate. And for me, I just go, okay, so this is this very much is about courage and compassion. Courage is our strong back, compassion is our soft front. I love that image. And 
I know Brene Brown talks about that in her, I think, Braving the Wilderness book that she wrote. And I think of it as a balance, but actually I'm liking the image kind of of the kind of the spine and the belly, the soft yeah. belly in the front more than more so than a balance. It's, yeah. it, that's really nice. And I, I think um, it reminds me also of when we think of that, if you lack the courage to kind of what you said about courage and how it kind of helps with the authority, the protective authority that, that workers need, if you're not feeling that courage and you're not able to pull from that and you're coming in from a, a place of fear or doubt, oftentimes I think that is where we see authority misused or used in a, in a little bit of a harsh way that doesn't always work. Yeah, I agree. I think when we become caught in those places, then we are very naturally activating our stress response. And that's going to take us into its, you know, its its journey of fight it, flight it, or, you know, freeze. And and I think when we see workers caught there, we can see fight coming through as very authoritarian and that loses relationship. Or we see workers engaging into flight where they avoid or don't go into those difficult or hard spaces and places. And then we see an under-responsiveness and then we see ourselves heading into the place of professional dangerousness. Um, And I think, you know, as you would know, Kate, that what we see in professional dangerousness is often quite a subtle or even quite unconscious stepping over from the protective intent for the child or most vulnerable person into a protective intent for self. And I would suggest when we're in the protective intent for self, that our stress arousal system has been kicked into gear. So the mastery of being able to hold ourselves when there is high emotion uh, is quite a skill, I think. It's, it's really is something that, you know, very effective workers do well. And it's not about, I'm not allowed to have any emotions. You can certainly have those later. But it's the ability to remain calm and logical and, you know, and, and kind of, I always kind of like kind of get really steady, really perseverant at that moment um, and hold it there. And that for me is courage. That really is. It's, it's demonstrated through those sorts of behaviours. And there, the word logical and calm really came through my research. Um, it's the ability, you have to emotionally regulate. You have to be able to manage those emotions really well. Otherwise, you're going to potentially slide off into those other spaces. Yeah. I think of like the critical thinking skills that, that workers need when, when they are out in the field and they're, they're meeting with families and having discussions. If you are in that emotional space, it's really hard to critically think and, and to make decisions that are, are logical. Yeah, very much. I mean, you're just literally in the wrong part of your brain. Yeah. You'll be, you know, kind of not quite in your higher cortex. You'll be caught a wee bit in your limbic. And while it's really understandable, it does affect our decision making and it does affect our ability to think clearly in those spaces. So, yeah, courage really does require us to kind of be able to work with and manage our emotions, as does compassion. I think mm-hmm. when we're confronted, when we we find behaviour that come across behaviour that's really confronting and even potentially disturbing, or we we might find it just really difficult to be around. There's a lot of emotional regulation that we have to do in that space to be able to to kind of resist the urge to just pull right away. Mm-hmm. And in fact, you know, compassion invites us to lean in 
and yeah as does courage but i just want to acknowledge that that can be quite hard you know we're human beings we get faced with behavior that can be highly distressing for everybody and so yeah i want to acknowledge that we have to work hard emotionally in these spaces it makes me think of um that need to pull in that piece of compassion again from the workforce and the caregivers when we are having conversations with with parents, um, when we're having conversations with youth, because it becomes easy when we kind of get into that protective role and the heroic mm-hmm. role of coming in and saving children from their parents to really seeing the parent. And this actually comes from you. So I'm gonna, I'll quote you of just saying, you know, not, you know, why did you do that? But what happened to you? Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where you can pull the compassion and understand that when we're trying to protect children in situations that are dangerous, it's not about being punitive to the caregivers who are making it dangerous or the parents who are making it dangerous, but it's about finding that compassion to meet with them and to see them. Very much. And I think we're being so blessed with the research that's come out around trauma, particularly relational trauma, mm-hmm. over the last 20-odd years. and that we are starting to really recognize that a lot of behavior that we see is is pain-based you know and it's it's a form of managing or coping that you know has sadly become a little maladaptive and and, you know and and harmful potentially and if we look at it through that lens i think that has just been so enormously helpful that we could sit there with that wondering how's it come to this how's this behavior come to be and i think the invitation that people can that we invite our adults, we invite our parents to we find space that they can begin to tell us their story and that they may never have done that. And I think that's a very, yeah, it's a very, um, it's, for me it's almost like a very delicate and fragile space where we, we open the door for that story to be, to have to be shared and, and the, the delicate holding of that because it may be the first time and that this could actually be, I believe that when we start to share the narrative of a trauma history, it is the first step in healing from that. So this is a very powerful place and moment in time if we can just suspend and hold uh, what we have to do in this moment and invite people to tell us the story of their journey. And, you know, I think one of the tragedies of child abuse and neglect is that it can unfortunately teach cruelty. Mm -hmm. And so it's one of those awful things that comes from that if people are exposed to that then unfortunately you learn how to do it because that's what you're immersed in and so when we see adults who may be behaving in ways that are abusive in their behavior we've got to think where did that come from Mm -hmm. um because for a majority of people it's learned yeah. So it's come from experiencing that. And I, I, know, I know it sounds so simplistic to say, but it, yeah, it's a powerful moment when we invite people to talk about their childhoods with us. It is. And I think kind of coming back to this balance of opening the space to come in with a compassion, allow for the stories, allow for the understanding, right, of seeing the parent and holding your line, right, I think is super important as well. Absolutely. I mean, throughout all this, you must be holding in mind the child. Mm-hmm. And Professor Harry Ferguson talks about that, you know, holding the child in mind and and really encourages that that we make a very conscious engagement with the child and baby, infant, you know, that we 
we really look into their eyes, that we get down on the floor, whatever we need to do to bring them to mind. And that becomes part of our anchoring in these very difficult conversations that we have brought them to mind. Because again, sometimes this is our protective place. We don't do that. And they're not in our mind. And that's when, again, we can get very caught in providing a very sort of um, tick-the-box response, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And it just makes me think again of the dangerous dynamics of um, sometimes we can get caught up, right, in parents' chaos and their stories and focus on that versus why are we here and what about the child? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we've got to have them in mind and and again, be, be very practiced at being able to say what we're worried about and why. And again, as Eileen Monroe suggests, always linking that to, to child development, to what children need to be, to be safe, to be cared for, to be protected, what we need to see happening. And, and also being compassionate about that, that people may literally not know that, that if they haven't experienced that in their own upbringing, they won't know what that looks like. And so again, those conversations that, that really talk about the evidence of what will be happening as opposed to the absence. So the, the, the presence of this is, this is what will be happening. This is what we'd see rather than just saying, well, you can't do that anymore or whatever. So yeah, I think, I think we have to realize that people may not know. I love that you said that because we just did some training on, on safety planning with families and be very behaviorally specific to what we want to see versus taking away something we, we need to to actually talk about what what is there and what we want to be there and something else you said sorry that was that I'm going to come back to because you've said it now a couple of times but I like in different ways is that idea that um of rehearsing and mm. really being sure of what you need to talk about, um, being comfortable with having that conversation of what is the the worry, what is the the risk to the child, what is the danger to the child. And I know um, when we talk about professional dangerousness, I think one of the ways to try to, to overcome that is to be ready for those conversations and really rehearse them so that you don't get pulled in a different direction or, you know, you don't your emotions get in the way and you don't want to upset the parents so you don't say it or it's hard mm-hmm. to say in the moment and I think really being able to clearly identify and be direct with, with what we're worried about. Yeah, and I, I've been having some lovely conversations about this both in my own supervisory space and also teaching around that uh, about the need to, to build a muscle. <laughs> so kind of build a muscle for uncomfortable conversations and and really what what that that's about is building the capacity for it and and I think there's many opportunities in life that we can say to ourselves I'm going to go into that conversation it could just be a simple assertive conversation um, with a colleague or something like that and but we actually make ourselves go into it because we build this idea of muscle that and that's in quotation marks where we we increase our capacity and so we've got more there for when we need to go really into these very hard spaces we've got something to call on it's a bit like you know we've built ourselves up for the marathon and um, so when we have to run it we've got it there and you can't just run a marathon with no preparation it would end badly um so i really like the idea of how do how do we how do we in everything we do 
encourage ourselves to step into difficult spots it makes sense to you know to keep on practicing that because it really does make a difference um and so i would encourage anyone in this work to very consciously and deliberately keep keep seizing little moments to practice having somewhat challenging conversations. I love that. In the the first episode that I did with Cassie, where we were just explaining uncomfortable conversations, we clearly identified which one of us prefers to avoid uncomfortable conversations, and that was me. So I, I love the invitation to just try it, you know, just try it out and continue to just even possibly like in low risk situations first, and then and I, and have the conversations certainly yeah. um, with your supervisor and or your colleagues as you're going into having these kind of higher risk, higher um, impact conversations. Yeah, as I said, make a request, call out an, an okay comment in the workplace, anything mm-hmm. like that really helps us um, build that capacity, build that muscle. And and I'm also really reminded of how important it is for supervisors and, and leaders to do this as well. Obviously, again, from a compassionate place, but there's that lovely uh, piece of writing by Edgar Guest, who talks about, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather see a sermon than hear mm-hmm. one every day. And it's probably not coming over well on my New Zealand accent, but <laughs> really important that, um, that we actually demonstrate that we actually walk the talk and um, and that we too don't avoid the hard conversations because the more that we do that, the more that we demonstrate, the more that we say, you can have a really hard conversation, the relationship remains intact, you know, we, how we do that. And for me, a, a very simple philosophy that I come back to most days is the problem is the problem, not the person. Mm-hmm. And so that a Ability to externalize that this is the difficulty, this is the behavior. The person's okay, and we do need to make judgments around behavior in terms of child safety and protection. And always that lovely thinking, but we don't, we don't never have the right to judge someone, but we must judge behavior, you know, or or assess behavior if that's a more comfortable word for people. But yeah, in order to do that, we need to see people around us doing that. And so supervision is a really good space to kind of practice this, rehearse this. How would you say it? What would you say? And I think, again, when I think about what really enables good workers is workers who are, again, very clear about their role, very clear about their purpose, and um, can hold that, that strong back. Yes. You know, not, not get swayed off it, not get pulled off into, you know, very understandable re- resistance from families. It's, it's been able to really, okay, I can hear that. I need to come back to this. And um, again, delivered in that calm way, logical, thought out, reasoned. Um, I think that holds us in better stead. I agree. Amen. I think that is um, very well said. And, and that's exactly kind of when we think about having these uncomfortable conversations and doing so really to prevent any further danger or harm to children. Um, that was exactly well said. We need to be able to go in knowing what the core issue is that we're talking about, listening with compassion, um, and again, just holding that, like, we know what our purpose is. And I think, and and the parallel process, 100% in there from, you know, leadership on down, if we also want to be seeing this from from leaders, having these conversations, having the ability to have conversations, supervisors to workers, again, workers to families, 
families mm. to their children. I think it, it yeah. really does kind of play itself down. Very much. Yeah, absolutely. And then we impart, we invite people to partner with us around the issue. How are we gonna how are we gonna make things better? How are we gonna do this better? How are we gonna you know, so we, we come in together and we say, Look, you know, we wanna partner around this, we wanna work with you around this and um we we want the best out we all want the best outcome here. I appreciate that. People might find it hard to hear in the moment, but it might filter through a little later. Yeah. There was a um a lovely example many years ago that I that really stuck with me around a mother talking about the day her child was removed from her care and just what a horrific day that was pretty much. I mean, mm. we think about it, you know, that this is a primal fear for people of losing their children generally. And, and she said the only thing that kind of made that even just the tiniest bit more bearable was she saw tears in the, in the social worker's eyes. Again, I, I'm going to go back to that quote of, you know, it's the it's the human experience. Absolutely. And that is the connector. Yeah. And that ability to to be that, to, to you know, to have tears in your eyes, I, you know, I, again, we manage that and we regulate around that. But to say this is extremely hard, you know, like, this is a really awful place that we've landed in and, and we're all sorry for that. Absolutely. Mm. Again, I think it's that, that balance of the compassion with this is what we have to do and... Yeah. We can do so with compassion and care. Absolutely. Always. We must always do that in the really, really hard places. Well, Nikki, I could certainly stay here all day and talk to you. I always enjoy um, hearing what you have to say and learning from you. And I know it's, you know, it's 8 a.m. in the morning there, and you probably want to get your day started for for real, for earnest there. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for your time. And just would love to know, like, is there any last kind of words or words of wisdom that you want to share? Well, I'll probably give the words of wisdom to one of your great leaders, which is um, Eleanor Roosevelt. And um, Mm. one of her quotes that I come back to over and over and over in my life, both personally and professionally, is she says, you gain strength, courage and confidence by every experience in which you really stop to look fear in the face. You're able to say to yourself, I have lived through this horror. I can take the next thing that comes along. You must do the things you think you cannot do. And I really, I really want to say that that's where we grow. Um, I think we're all here to learn. And life is about that. Life is a wonderful learning journey for whatever, how long it might run for us. And, and I think we must walk ourselves into the hard places because they are vulnerable and they are scary and we can feel kind of shaky. But every time we turn and face and walk in, I would suggest that we grow and we learn. And we need to we need to walk into those places again, like building the muscle, because we'll call on them again and we'll call on them for the next one. And I think it's really important that we reflect and connect ourselves to times when we did show courage um, and remind ourselves of those times and, and how we did that and what took us there and what motivated us there to make that conscious decision to turn and face and walk in. Um, so, yeah, so I really want to say, do it. You know, these, this place is a, this work is a profound space of learning. And every time we engage with a family, a child, a young person, um, adults, there is this moment, there is this opportunity. So, um, yeah, I find that really powerful in my life, that turning and facing the most difficult 
it is it gives us strength to carry on and and carry forward into whatever else might be coming and and in my research i um i landed on we need courage to face adversity we need grit to endure it and we um essentially get resilience which helps us adapt to it so in this field i think you need courage i think you need grit and um and you need some resilience and you only get all those things by walking yourself into these spaces but doing that doing that carefully and doing that well and um yeah and always holding that child in mind hallelujah (laughs) beautiful thank you thanks kay it's been a great conversation well thank you so so much and um, i look forward to our next conversation lovely okay bye 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 Welcome to the Field is produced by the University of Vermont's Child Welfare Training Partnership and the State of Vermont. Our theme music is composed and performed by local band Brick Drop, and our sound production and engineering is brought to you by Egan Media Productions. We'd also like to give a special thank you to our in-house technical production assistant, Emma Baird. For Welcome to the Field, I'm Cassie Gillespie, and we'll see you next time.